Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. Sunday because we've already heard great music, had baptism, and been challenged. Uh, I want us to be challenged now from the Word of God. Matthew chapter number 2. Don't get too comfortable. We are going to stand in just a moment in a responsive reading format as we read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2. But can you believe it? We're already in our third message as we begin a new book of the Bible, and we're going to go every week on Sunday morning. Uh, except for Father's Day, we'll take a, a little diversion there, um, and then our anniversary Sunday will be a little diverted. But uh, but every week we're going to be in the book of Matthew and uh, examining uh, this book verse by verse and word by word where necessary. I I, I think we uh, can rejoice that uh, Matthew can teach us much about uh, this uh, the person that Haley just sang about, and that's Jesus. Apart from Jesus, there's no reason to be here. If Jesus is not real, there's no reason to be here. You're doing something that's kind of foolish. But Jesus is the reason we're here. And that's why we're journeying through the book of Matthew. We're going to learn much about him and his life. We've already examined his genealogy. We looked at last week his implausible conception. Um, And now, before beginning today's message, I definitely want to issue a warning. I, in this message... We are going to destroy some popular myths about the birth of Christ. So let the hair stand up on the back of your head right now and just get get anxious and be ready because we're going to share a couple things that you've always heard and it's just always been true. And uh, I I think that maybe we'll have to look at that from a fresh new set of eyes from culture and context of 2,000 years ago. So let's look there in Matthew chapter number 2. Let's all stand together. I realize it is not Christmas time and we're reading a Christmas passage. I'm so glad it's not Christmas time. Maybe we'll have a greater appreciation and sense for this passage of Scripture apart from the Christmas season. And so I'm going to read the odd verses. You'll follow Pastor Jonathan and read the even verses. And, um, and so let's, let's begin in verse number 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men. Oh, how many wise men were there? <laughs> See? I heard it all across. There were three wise men. You take your Bible and show me where there were three wise men. It does not say there were three wise men. So there's popular myth burst right there out the gate today. You're going to have to go back. Mom, you told me there were three wise men. In the manger scene, you always have three wise men. All right. Well, I'm, I'm off topic here. Anyway. <laughs> There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, verse number 2. Saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, 
he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now various products that we have purchased have warning labels on them that tell us about the abuse or even the use of these products. They could have an adverse effect or be harmful to us. Even television programs often are preempted uh, by a warning about violence or suggestive content. Notice there in verse number 12, we have a warning. Let's read that verse again together one more time. Together. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Father, would you help us to understand your word, have a greater appreciation from your word. And Father, help us to fall in love with your word. In particular, the person Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You see them every single Christmas season. There are always three. You always see them riding camels. And they're always at the major. Now, I, I, I don't want to disappoint or disillusion any of you, especially if you've been in church for a very long time. The Bible does not say that there were three. The Bible does not say they were uh, riding on camels. And the Bible does not even remotely indicate that they were at the manger scene. And so let's jump into this passage of Scripture. And I want us to understand uh, that we always, always, always always, always should interpret Scripture in the light of culture and context. Remember, uh, this was written 2,000 years ago, and so there was a different culture back then. And in the context of Scripture, or in the manner in which it was written, we don't take just one verse and make it say something that we wanted to say. We always have to read it within the context of the Scripture. And so there's some traditions that have given names and invented ideas about their travels. And, uh, of course, they are the wise men. That's what the Bible says. Interestingly, uh, the title comes from one Greek word, magoi, uh, from which we get our terms magic, we get our term magnetic from it. And we'll learn that these are magi who are indeed very wise men that were used of God to authenticate the kingship of Christ. Now, understanding a little bit of history here, Matthew writes apologetically. Now, that doesn't mean he is apologizing for Christ, but he's in a defensive uh, stance here. He's proving his right as king of the Jews and the king of kings. Matthew, he wrote in particular to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And he began that in chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, where we chronicled his genealogy. And chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, uh, he recounted the, ast- uh, the astounding event of, uh, of his birth. In chapter 2, Matthew here, he adds three more pieces of evidence about Jesus being the King of the Jews, the Messiah. The first is the witness of the Magi and what we just read in verses 1 through 12. And the second is the devious scheme of King Herod in verses 13 through 16. And finally, there's a fulfillment of some Old Testament prophecies and each relating to a particular place. In a future message, we're going to learn about Bethlehem and Egypt and Ramah and Nazareth and how the, the, the Old Testament scriptures gives credence to what Matthew is writing about in Matthew chapter 2. This morning, we're only going to focus on verses 1 through 12, and that is the witness that we see here. So let me share three thoughts with you this morning about the witness. Witness number one, we see the Magi's arrival. In witness number one, we see the Magi's arrival. We read about the wise men, or Magi, in the first two verses of Matthew chapter 2. So let's break this down in the culture and context of some 2,000 years ago. And the first thing I see is the timing of the Magi's arrival. In verse number 1, it says that the Magi came when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. It is improbable that they came to worship Jesus at a borrowed stable the night of his birth. Verse 11 tells us that when they worshipped him, they came into the house uh, rather than a stable. The Bible is very clear that Jesus was born where? In a stable. Uh, And so now the Bible says that they're in a house. This suggests that Jesus had already been circumcised. Mary had already completed her period of purification. Note that nowhere throughout chapter number 2 is Jesus spoken of as a baby or an infant. Rather, he is called a young child. And the timing, according to the secular calendar of the day, uh, going back 2,000 years ago, it was used during the reign of Herod, would indicate that Jesus would have been around what age? Do you remember? He had been around the age of two at this event some 2,000 years ago. Now, we also see the ruler during the Magi's arrival. The ruler during the Magi's arrival. The Bible says, we read it, that this was during a specific time period of Herod the king. Now, let's learn a little bit about Herod. Herod was known as Herod the Great. Um, But A.T. Robertson has labeled him, uh, a commentator, as Herod the Great Pervert. Um, Herod was a wicked man. And you could put that with an exclamation point. Uh, He was the first of several Herodian kings. Uh, Herod's father, Antipater, was made governor of Judea uh, during the Roman occupation around 40 A.D. Herod was declared the king of the Jews by Caesar Augustus with the concurrence of of the Roman Senate. Uh, He was not a Jew, but he was an Edomite. And to appease the Jews, uh, King Herod Herod married a Jewish woman. And he was an astute politician. He was a great orator. Uh, History records that he was an amazing diplomat. And he began the reconstruction of the temple. He revived a struggling economy. He built the city of Caesarea, of which many of us have been to on our trips to Israel. And uh, he was responsible for that impregnable uh, fortress called Masada, of which many of us have also been to. But despite all of his earthly accomplishments, Herod was a cold-hearted, cruel, and extremely jealous man. Listen to some of the other things that he did. 
He had his wife's brother, who was a high priest, drowned. He then had his wife, his mother-in-law, and two of his own sons killed. Five days before his death, he ordered the death of a third son. And just before his death, knowing that no one would mourn his passing, for he was highly hated, he ordered many of the Jerusalem's leading citizens uh, to be arrested, and then he executed them just after he died. Herod said that Jerusalem would mourn the day he died, even if they did not mourn for him. So these wise men, these magi, they come when Jesus was about two years of age, and they came during the reign of Herod the Great. Here's a third thing I see. We see the identity of the magi. Do you want to know who the magi are? The identity of the magi. Though there's much tradition and myth, the biblical facts are actually very few. We only know a couple things for, about the, the Magi. First of all, we know that they came from the east. Now, this suggests that they could have come as far as uh, uh, from uh, China. Uh, by the way, there are actual ancient Chinese writings. Remember, uh, China is a country that's thousands of years old. Not uh, We're a very young country compared to China. China is many thousands of years old. Uh, there's actual ancient Chinese writings to indicate that such a story like this took place, which only validates what happened in Matthew. By the way, Matthew is written, I believe it, it doesn't have to be validated by some other source. But the fact is, is that there are other writings in the culture and context that absolutely support the story here in Matthew chapter number 2. Well, the Magi first appear in history as the priestly political class of the Medo-Persian Empire. They were skilled in, in astronomy, astrology, and the sciences. And they were monotheistic, had a, had a, uh, a sacrificial system which was much like uh, of the Jews. They were especially noted for interpreting dreams or, or visions. A commentator has written this. Because of their combined knowledge of science, agriculture, mathematics, history, and the occult, their religious and political influence continued to grow until they became the most prominent and powerful group of advisors in the Medo-Persian and the Babylonian Empire. Historians tell us that no Persian was ever able to become king without mastering the scientific and religious disciplines of the Magi and then being approved and crowned by them and that this group also controlled judicial appointments. Here's, here's why I'm giving you this background. We read about what happened when the Magi came to this house. We're going to look at that in a minute. The Bible says the Magi, or wise men, are mentioned all the way back in the book of Daniel. It's probable that they were strongly influenced by Old Testament writers, including and especially Daniel. I will say this. If it were super important that we knew exactly what country they came from, guess what? The Bible would have told us. And it's not. It is sufficient to know that here's what these people were. They were highly educated. They were astute. They were considered the wisest, the people with the highest IQ of the day. Well, the Magi, they came. Verse number 2, we see a fourth thing, and they have a question, the question of the Magi. These men came to Jerusalem. They did not travel on three camels, but according to history and the culture of this time, they would have been with an armed escort benefiting men of their importance. There would have been an entire train. There would have been an entire group of people. It would not have just been three. They, they, these people were considered the enemies of the Jews. And uh, there is no doubt that 
They, it, they, as they traveled about, were the news topic throughout the country. Well, they came to this area, and they asked a question. Where is he, where is he that has been born king of the Jews? Now, the grammar suggests that they were continually asking this question as they went along their course. They were trying to find someone with urgency. Imagine their surprise when no one knew the answer to the question. Think about that. No one knew. Um, so we see in the latter part of verse number 2 the explanation from the Magi. They explain that they had, notice what the Bible says, seen his star. We do not know what the star was, but I believe it was the glory of God. We have evidence in Scripture of such in the grand exodus of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. Uh, note that the Scripture does not say that they were following a... a, a, a his, notice that the Scripture does not say that they followed His star, but they had seen His star in the east. And then the Bible says, It later appeared to them. God had revealed to them in the heavens the birth of His Son. And they had come to find and worship Him. Now, these were the highest IQ people on earth. The Bible indicates, but, but uh, culture also uh, reaffirms that these were people that had incredible knowledge about many different subjects, and they had to to be considered magi or wise men. They, they had come to find him and worship him, and since, even though their knowledge was limited, they acted on what little revelation that God had given them. Jeremiah says this, And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Uh, I think we can recognize that Jesus was no ordinary king, but he was one to be worshipped. So we see little details and just these uh, uh, first two verses surrounding the arrival of the Magi. But I want you to notice the second witness this morning, and that is that there was an adversary to these Magi, the Magi's adversary. There was an enemy. There was somebody who was lurking in the shadows that was not happy. Now, let me just say this. If there were only three magi or three wise men i think it might have been even difficult to get an audience with the king remember uh, you just can't march into the palace and demand to see the king this is why it's further believed that there was an entire entourage there was a vast train of whether they were on cannibals or traveling in some other uh, mode of chariots or whatever the fact of the matter is is that this was a large enough group that it got the king's attention notice in verse number three we see Herod's problem the presence of these magi the bible uses a very descriptive word it says it troubled Herod because of their political influence and the questions that they were asking, he feared for his throne. He felt that his throne was being threatened. He was an Edomite <coughs> imposter who feared losing all to one, what the Bible says was born king of the Jews. Now remember, King Herod was the king over the Jews. What validated him as a king is he married a Jewish woman, even though he himself was not a Jew. Note that the Bible says all Jerusalem was troubled too. They feared war. They feared innocent bloodshed from Herod's jealousy. So Herod asked a question in verse 4, 5, and 6. I want you to notice what the question was. Herod brought together all the chief priests. These are the religious people. 
among the Jewish people. They were also the political uh, leaders among the Jewish people. Many of them composed the Sanhedrin court. The Bible even says that Herod included the scribes. These were the, uh, the, the scholars, if you will, of Scripture. Uh, it was a large conference of people that Herod assembled. And Herod, the Bible says, demanded of them where Christ should be born. Where was this king of the Jews going to be born? Herod knew the writings of the prophets spoke of a coming king called Messiah or the Christ. And he wanted to know this. Where would he be born? There was, uh, the, the, there was among these people uh, many people who had memorized gra- uh, vast portions of the scripture. And they knew of the Old Testament uh, writings of the prophets. So this was an easy answer to a common question. Uh, these learned men replied that Jesus would be born do you know where he was going to be born? He was going to be born in Bethlehem. And they even provide a, uh, provided for King Herod a scripture. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The most amazing fact is that none of the religious leaders seemed even vaguely interested in verifying the story of the Magi. Jesus had already been born for two years. They knew what God's word said, but they didn't even care to go to Bethlehem to see. Now, how like so many people today, oh, listen to this, people know so many facts about the Bible, but they do not seem to know or care about the Lord. They have head knowledge, but few people have heart knowledge. How about you? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Oh, you have head knowledge. Yes, there's a Christmas story. And until today, I thought that at the Christmas story, Jesus was born in a manger, and the wise men came and bowed down to him by that uh, um, uh, feeding trough. Uh, You have head knowledge. But there's a lot of people come to church that do not have heart knowledge. The Jews, they had this great knowledge about Christ, but they did not follow him. The Magi had limited knowledge, but they wanted to follow and they wanted to worship him. Well, that brings me to really what a cataclysmic uh, meeting that took place between the Magi and Herod. And we see this meeting. And notice the Bible says in verse 7 that he uses the word privately. This was a secret meeting called with the Magi. So in other words, we know that he had just had a meeting with the Sanhedrin, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and anybody who knew anything. He's now dismissed them. Uh, He says, I know this king is going to be born in Bethlehem. And so he's dismissed all them and he It has a separate secret meeting now with the Magi. No doubt all the formalities and protocol of visiting heads of state were displayed, yet this meeting was very private. Herod the Great was cunning, and he ascertained what time the star appeared. When did you see this star? And he asked no questions about its meaning or its significance. All he wanted to know was this, what time? The time would indicate what? The child's age. When did you see, the Magi, this star appear? You said you saw a star appear. The Bible <coughs> says that there was going to be a star who appeared. It was then simple for Herod to remove the threat from the throne by simply killing all the boys that were born around the appearance of this star. And so in return for this information, 
here's what happened. Herod shared uh, that the child was born in Bethlehem with the Magi. And deceivingly, he asked them, Hey, why don't you find the young child? And this wicked, terrible king, Herod, he said that I may come and worship him. Do you think King Herod ever had any intention of worshiping this child? Absolutely not. Uh, Herod's only purpose was to secure his throne. He would think that if God were to send a savior to rule, the, that earthly kings would gladly give up uh, their thrones. But not so with Herod the Great. Herod was Satan's pawn, and he was bent on destruction. By the way, Satan is still using a lot of pawns today, destroying our world. Oh, we've seen the witness of the Magi's arrival, and we've examined the Magi's adversary, but I want you to notice a third witness this morning. Oh, this is such a sweet story. We see the Magi's adoration. The Magi's adoration, they've had this meeting. They've been called into the presence of the of King Herod, all the pomp and circumstance. They've traveled from afar. Remember, they're from a different country. The Bible says they're from a country in the east, uh, east of Israel, east uh, uh, of, of where they were currently located. And they've now had this private meeting. They've learned some information that they didn't know where this child was going to be born. And King Herod tells them he was going to be born in a place called Bethlehem. Well, we see something that's absolutely fascinating. We see the reappearance of the star there in verse number 9. Most likely, the meeting with Herod was at night. Secret meetings are rarely held during the business hours of the day, and I can imagine, using a little creative imagination, they left that meeting. It's under the cover of darkness. They've had a big fine meal with uh, King Herod. Uh, they both have learned some information, and I can imagine as they left the palace, they looked, and to their surprise, the Bible says the star had reappeared. That's why I know it wasn't a physical star in the, in the universe as we see today. I believe it was the glory of God that showed uh, these uh, 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 magi uh, where Jesus was. Maybe it was an angel in the sky. I don't know. Uh, neither do you. But here's what we know is that the star had reappeared. And the Bible says this, that it stood over where the young child was. And I think it was a blazing symbol of God's glory or perhaps... Perhaps it was a blazing angel in the sky, but nonetheless, as they leave Herod's palace, they're looking around. Hey, over there toward Bethlehem, there is that blazing star that's reappeared in the sky. Whatever its case, its appearance, the Bible says they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They were exhilarated. Now, I don't even think they waited till the next morning. I believe they hurried with their entourage and tow, and they headed that, that night um, uh, to find this young child. Notice with me verse 11. This is where oftentimes that misnomer comes, that there were three uh, wise people because there were three gifts, and that's where we get that from. Uh, but we see the giving of gifts in verse number 11. Imagine the surprise of Mary and Joseph as their foreign guests arrived. Mary and Joseph were just simple, common people. They were not royalty. Uh, we know that Joseph was just a carpenter, barely eking out a living, the 
the shame that had taken place with Mary being uh, pregnant uh, out of wedlock and then couldn't even explain the pregnancy. Nobody could understand it. Imagine that surprise. This whole entourage comes upon their house. And the Bible says that the Magi, may I remind you again, these are the people with the highest IQ. These are the smartest people in the world. These are the people that had the ability to interpret dreams and they knew about science and they knew about medicine and they knew about geography and they knew about everything. Uh, uh, they were incredibly intelligent people. Notice what the Bible says. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother. Perhaps he sat on her lap or played uh, by her feet on the floor. And without hesitating, these incredibly intelligent people, the Bible says, they fell down and worshipped the child. Don't let that get lost. These are people that were super uber wise uh, and, and intelligent. And imagine these mighty men of prestige and power groveling before a small child in the low rent district of a small town in Bethlehem in the country of their enemies. And rising from the floor, the Bible says that they snapped their fingers. Well, I added that. They snapped their fingers, and uh, they had their servants get off the, the treasures that were on their animals, and, and they brought them in, and, and they were all crowded in that little house. And there they began to open their treasures, and the Bible states that they presented this young child with gifts. And their gifts were an element, even the validation of their worship. And by the way, we do not and should not worship God without a sacrifice. We should not worship God without an offering. And giving to God outwardly proves the Lord, uh, that He is our Lord inwardly. And, and giving is such an act of worship. And that's why we give through singing back to Him. And we give of our time. And we give of our talents. And we give of our treasures. It is truly an act of worship. The Bible says specifically they gave gold. And they gave frankincense, and they gave myrrh. Now, these were gifts of great value of a king. I mean, has anyone ever come into your house and got down on your floor and bowed before you and says, Hey, listen, let me give you this treasure box full of gold. That would never happen. But that happened. The Bible says it happened. Nothing else is ever said of these gifts. But here's the significance. Most commentators, and myself included, I believe this to be true. Remember what, um, what the wicked king was about to decree. He was about to decree that every boy that was two years of age and younger was to be what? So that means that there had to be some type of escape, some type of provision for Joseph and Mary. And I believe that God in his amazing providence, um, that he gave these gifts to this lowly carpenter so that he could take his family and go down into the land of Egypt. And that God in his foreknowledge made provision to support his own family about what was to happen uh, with King Herod. I think God is amazing. Even when we can't see the end, he can and even when we can't see that he's answering our prayer request, he is. And even when we doubt him, we shouldn't. My friend, God always knows what he is doing. And nothing catches God by surprise. And I am so thankful for this story because God uses uh, the gifts of these wise men to, to provide when Joseph had to take his family on a moment's notice and escape from the country and travel to Egypt. Um, amazing. By the way, God uses your gifts to bless others. And when you give, 
you are being a blessing to others. Well, uh, get back here in verse number 12, our final verse. Uh, we see that there was an obedience to the dream. The Magi are there. They're with their entourage. They've seen Jesus. They have delivered the gifts. It does not say they stayed days. It, it was a young child. It doesn't say they stayed any length of time. But here's what the Bible says. The Magi were warned of God in a what? Remember, the Magi were able to interpret dreams, and they were able to, to understand dreams. And so even that very night as they slept, the sleep of exceeding great joy, God spoke to them. And remember, these men were experts in so many things, including dreams. And even, as, uh, even if they had not been, the message would have still been obvious that God had spoken to them. And the Bible says uh, that they did not return to Herod. In obedience to God, the Bible says they departed into their country another way. Perhaps while still under the cover of darkness, they slipped away before anyone would even miss them. And though the scripture says nothing else of them, their coronation adds evidence of Christ as, uh, as he was the rightful king of the Jews. And no doubt they became uh, uh, his disciples along the way, headed back to their country, preparing their country for the gospel message. I'm so thankful for this story. And, um, and while I've attempted to tell you a little bit about the story, how does that apply to me? And I'd like to give you three attitudes that we should have about Christ. We're not the wise men. We're not the magi. Certainly we're not King Herod and all of his wickedness. But what are some, what are some attitudes that we should have? May I just say life is really sick here in the United States right now. The perverse wickedness of our generation is readily evident in the ungodly transgender movement to groom our children with sick and twisted and, uh, and perverse uh, ideas of, of their gender. And in spite of this, I want us to examine three attitudes that we should have when it comes to Christ. Here's attitude number one. Many people are the enemies of Jesus. I think we have to recognize that many people are the enemies of of Jesus. Today, many are trying to remove every reference to Christ from public life. Just this past week, uh, um, they, uh, uh, up in um, uh, the state of Utah, they uh, uh, passed an ordinance where the Bible will be removed from the library. State of Utah. Um, in the state of Idaho, just this past week, that a young lady who was a senior who, was, who said, men, uh, said boys, are boy, boys are born boys, Girls are boy and girls, and uh, there's no such thing as, uh, as something other than a boy and a girl. She is not allowed to march with her graduating class because of saying that comment. Like Herod, there are a lot of people today that are the pawns of Satan. I, I think we're seeing a perverseness when it comes to satanic worship that we have never seen in our lifetimes. It's very visible, it's very evident, and it's being thrown in our face. And also like Herod, uh, there are people that may want to appear to honor Christ with their agenda, but their actions prove otherwise. I do want to say something, and I, I know that many of us enjoy sports, and, and let's set aside our preferential uh, uh, preferences when with, with our favorite sports team I just want to tell you something that's ungodly and wicked and you ought to know about it and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers have extended an invitation to the LGBTQIA plus group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to be recognized at one of the games during their annual pride month this month I would I would blush and be embarrassed if I had to describe to you their filth and debauchery that they perform on a cross to mock Jesus 
I, I, I've even asked, why does God not strike them immediately dead? And sadly, there'll be people that will love their sports more than the sin. And I'm saying, folks, as Christians, we have to recognize there are enemies of the cross of Christ. And they are real. And if you doubt me, I, I encourage you, you can Google it. But be prepared to have to go take a shower after watching the filth and perverseness of this group that has been invited for a second time to the Dodgers baseball game this month during Pride Month and will be honored with a special award. I want you to be prepared. It's absolute wickedness. Well, you have Target, who's now lost over $10 billion. By the way, they now have a child section of queer and satanic merchandise in every store and they're, they're, they're trying to move it to the back of the store, and they're trying to, they're trying to make some adjustment, but Target has now lost $10 billion because they're trying to groom our children with special tuck, uh, special tuck swimsuits for those boys who want to be girls. We have our head in the sand oftentimes, and uh, we get uncomfortable. We get uncomfortable when you hear Pastor Armstrong talk about, but it's okay for you to look at it on social media and and, and perhaps even laugh about some of it. But I'm just telling you that I never ever want my grandchildren to walk into a Target and see, to see a onesie. You know what a onesie is? See a onesie that says queer, queer, queer. And Target has taken on, uh, a, 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 taken on this to uh, provide gender affirming um, with a trans, radical transsexual uh, uh, movement. And I'm just saying here it's filth, debauchery, wicked. Folks, be engaged. Let's stand. We've got to stand as Christians. Our own Spanish pastor, Pastor Abel, went to the local Target and filmed this at our own local Target here in Tucson that as soon as you walk in, it's right there in the very front of the store and everything that I just said is true. Um, I am thankful that even unsaved people have had enough of Target and are boycotting Target. And uh, the fact of the matter is, some of you will say, I don't care, Pastor, what you just said. I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. You know what we are doing? We're continuing, uh, to, we're continuing to fund something that is wic wicked and godless. Now, let me, let me just help, let me help clarify some things here, and, and I'll be done. We know that the Bible says that living a sodomite lifestyle is wicked. You could read Romans chapter 1. Please listen to me. That's between two adults. If they can engage in an immoral lifestyle called homosexuality or lesbianism, that's two grown adults who choose to sin and violate God's word. Do you agree? Two grown adults. Please understand my anger is that when you, set, when you give permission and you try to groom children that are four, five, six, seven, and year, eight years of age to allow them to have gender-affirming surgeries because they feel like a boy today or they feel like a girl tomorrow, and we're going to allow adults and, and physicians to mutilate our children, that is another gr a gross level of incompetence and wickedness that we must stand. We have to be the voices to protect children. And um, We've had, three, we've had three families lose our church because of my stand on this. And you know what? I'm saying don't let the door hit you on the way out. Because we are going to protect our children. We're going to stand up for our children. We're going to stand up for what's right. And I'm going to inform you. And if you get sick of it, you come and tell me you're sick of it. But here's what I want to tell you. You're, you're sick of being informed about the 
godless society that we're raising our children and you're exposing your children to, folks, these drag queen shows, they're there to help parents bring their children so that they can be perverts with children. And we're okay with it. I'm not okay with it. And uh, I, I, uh, I must understand what Paul wrote, and he simply reminded us in 1 Corinthians, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Do not let these people bother you. Fight with every fiber of your being to protect your family. And remember that victory has already been won, but we as Christians must stand up. We must fight. We must be counted. We cannot get weak in this fight. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and there was going to be someone here, and I'm just going to put it out there publicly. There's going to be someone here that says, I didn't come to church to hear about this. May I just tell you, you came to church to be informed that we live in a sinful nation, and there are enemies of Christ, and we cannot have our head in the sand when it comes to those who want to destroy your family. We must understand there's enemies. And if there are enemies of Christ... They're your enemies too. Here's a second thing I think we should have when it comes to our attitude. Number two is many people are indifferent toward Jesus. Not only are there people who are enemies, but there are many people who are just indifferent toward Jesus. I'm afraid the church is full of people like the chief priests and scribes. They know all the answers about the Bible. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. How old was he when uh, uh, the wise men came? Two years of age. We have a lot of knowledge about Jesus, but we simply do not know Jesus. Maybe the reason that you do not serve him, worship him, give to him, pray to him, or seek him is because though you know about him, you've never truly known him. You need to be saved. If you're indifferent about Jesus, I, by the way, if my talk today made you uncomfortable because, uh, um, uh, because I'm afraid to speak about Jesus outside these walls, it might very well be because you do not know him personally. And I beg you to trust him today. Oh, my time is slipping away. Here's the third and final attitude, and that is, is that fewer people love Jesus. Every day, fewer and fewer people love Jesus. I think the most important aspect of the Magi is that they would not give up until they found Jesus. Why should I love Jesus? He gave me everything that no other man or woman could ever give to me. He gave me life eternal if I'll believe in him as my personal Lord and Savior. He'll do the same for you. I want you to be like the Magi. Show him your love today. I beg you to know Jesus today. If you can learn anything about the Magi is they did not give up until they found Jesus. Some of us, someone says, oh, you're one of those Jesus followers. And we will put our tail between our legs and we will tuck and we will run away and uh, we will never mention Jesus again. That's all it would take for us to not name the name of Jesus. These Magi give us a great example. They would not be deterred until they found Jesus. How about you? How about you?